The first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah. We're going to begin in chapter 52 and verses 13 to 15. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. And we continue with Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up out our pain, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We like all sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and proclaim his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, 
and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made trans intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan encircled me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surrounded me. A pack of villain encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep alive themselves, who, those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. 
They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading today is found in the book of John, chapter 18. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there's a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with him. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the word he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoke openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogue or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. 
When Jehichadich, one of the officials nearby, slapped him in the face, Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anish sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there, warming himself, so they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They slapped him in the face. 
Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabata. It was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Please stand. Since we learn from the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is that remembering is not just recalling to mind, but reliving. As we come to the reading of the crucifixion, whether you close your eyes or focus on a window, uh, join me on Golgotha at the foot of the cross as we relive the crucifixion of our Lord. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, 
I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses until <clears throat> during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first men who had been crucified with Jesus. And then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. You may be seated. Pastor Bassam is a dear brother of ours who serves with us in the cause of the gospel from our neighborhood. Pastor Bassam, come and share the words, the words of the Lord for us. Thank you. 
would like each one to greet the one next to him. Just thank the Lord for the redemption because we're going to talk about the application of the cross in our lives. So that will be a good opportunity to greet each other and thank the Lord for redemption if you may greet the one next to you. Not to start uh, conversations, just <clears throat> to feel relaxed in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Really, our Lord endured a lot of suffering for our sake. And uh, he called us to follow him and to follow his examples. Of course, salvation, uh, he finished salvation. All what we need to do is to come and repent and receive salvation with real repentance. But it is a covenant. So unto us, we need to do three things to apply this covenant in our lives. First, to change according to the image of Christ. Second, to exercise God's love that is flowing in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And third, we belong to a different kingdom now. We have to serve this kingdom. So how to apply Jesus' teachings in our lives? I just want us to know that the cross is not just an event that happened towards the end of Jesus' life in the flesh. The cross has to do with everything that Jesus taught and lived. Everything that Jesus taught and lived, it's the culture of the cross, the essence of the cross, which is the foundation of the kingdom of God. And beginning, I want to read the verse from 1 Corinthians 1.18 to uh, start to grasp this uh, understanding uh, from the New Testament. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, if you go to the Greek, it says the logos of the cross, which also means the word of the cross. Logos to you means the word of God. But it's much more than that. We know that Jesus, it says in Matthew 16, when he asked his disciple, what do you think of who I am, the son of man? Peter said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Okay? And it says from that point onward, when Jesus saw that the disciples start to get the revelation of who Christ is, only then he started sharing them that he has to go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the chief priests, die, and then on the third day, resurrect from the dead. So, because it's hard for the world to understand the redemption 
also it's good to remember that it's an everlasting mystery. In the first chapter of uh, uh, first epistle of Peter, he says that the blood of Christ known before the foundation of the world. It's not something to think of lightly. It's a very deep mystery that we will live all our lives to discover. But don't expect the world to understand the redemption. And many Christians around the world, when they acknowledge that the world somehow are not getting it, they try to delude the gospel to think that to make it more appealing to the humanistic ideas, but that doesn't work. It's, it's, it happens only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So he urged them from that point onward, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, carry your cross and follow me. So all what Jesus thought, all was Jesus thought, literally, and all the essence of the gospel is founded on denying yourself. Because the cross is not just something that I remember only, and I say it after a phrase that is one upon, one, one, once upon a time, Jesus died on the cross. No, it has to do with every moment of my life. Because it says in Galatians 2.20 that with Christ I was crucified, and who lives, it's not me anymore, it's Christ who lives in me. And then it says, I live this by faith. Faith in the Son of God that laid himself for me. So each, each moment of our lives, we live by faith that we have been crucified with Christ. Now we have to live, deny ourselves, and serve Christ, meaning what would Jesus do in every thought and every word and everything, action that we'll do in our lives. But again, I will tell you, his teachings will clash with all what the world is teaching. They cannot, we cannot reconcile them. We have to understand Jesus did not give us a new garment in order, like imagine someone gives you a new wonderful dress and they say, wow, my old dress is, have some holes. Let me cut a piece from the new dress and patch the old dress that I have. With, this, with these new dress patches. That's not what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to give us new life. So again, I just want to remind us of what does it mean, the cross as a way of life? This is the theme of my message. The cross as a way of life, or the logos of the cross, or the culture of the cross, you can call it whatever you want, but the, the most common theme of all what the New Testament is teaching, as said, it's based on self-denial. It's not me anymore. It's Christ that is living in me. For example, if someone sins against you, you go and talk to him. No, 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 no. Listen. He sinned against me. He should come and apologize. 
It doesn't work in our world. People maybe will not understand it. When you go, they'll think that you are the, the wrongdoer here. And so he says this in Matthew 18:15. Forgive others always. And then Peter asked him, how many times shall I forgive my brothers? Up to seven times? But Jesus answers, 70 times, seven times. This is not the what the world is teaching. And this is not easy. This is not easy. This is the cross, guys, brethren. This is the cross. You want to live the cross in your life? That's the logos of the cross. It has to do with everything that Jesus lived and taught. In fact, the crucifixion was an obvious ending of what he taught. It was an obvious ending. And it was not just his ending. It was the ending of all the disciples as well. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Of course, love doesn't mean that you need to have affection towards your enemies. From Matthew 5, he says to be like your father in heaven, meaning to unite with the heart of God towards your enemies. The heart of God wants to bless your enemies. He wants to uh, 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 good for them. He sees good in them still. To unite with the heart of God. It doesn't mean that you're going to go and jump on your enemy and and have affection on some people also feel guilty that they don't have this affection towards that person that is trying to harm me or already did harm me. No, it's just to unite with the heart of God. The world doesn't understand this language. He taught us to dialogue with the aggressor and I like, uh, if, you, if you observed here uh, well, when he said if someone slap you on your right cheek, turn the other. From the application, in the reading we had, uh, John read it, it means that he taught us to have dialogue with the aggressor. Because when someone slapped him before the high priest, he said, if I did something wrong, testify against me. If not, why do you slap me? So the word teach you, you have to respond in the same way. He slaps you, you slap him. If he's too powerful, I mean you can slap him with your words, you can curse him, you have to do something, you know. Or you run away, but Jesus is teaching his, us here something else. He taught us to, to let go of our rights. Give to everyone who asks you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not Ask, him, ask them back. What is this? To, 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 you know, lay off my rights? That's not what the world is teaching me. What's, that's not what the schools are teaching our kids. It's not easy to follow this. And in the end, I will, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, in my opinion, uh, these teachings to invade the whole world is the biggest miracle that happened in the history. Because me as a businessman also, when I look at this, you cannot market these teachings. 
to the world. I mean, it's not attractive, you know. If I want to write something, I will say, fight your enemies, not love your enemies. So the claim that we made this up is so stupid. The most stupid thing in the world. How can someone write something like this? Because it is against me. If, if I follow this, it's, everything is against me, if I think of it, really. So, if you want to be great, serve others. This is the cross. Who curse you, pray for them. To pray for those who curse me? What is this? That's the teaching of the cross. That's the culture of the cross. I mean, we are honoring the story, but do we want to see something different in our lives from this point onward? Who hate you, do good to them. He says here, do good to those who hate you. It's hard. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. The world doesn't teach that. Doesn't teach that. I mean, there is the humanistic understanding and ethics. You know, human ethics says this. You do good to those who do good to you. You curse who curse you. You hit those who hit you. You know, you deal with people the same way they deal with you. This is humanistic. Okay? And you have demonic also nature in our world. You harm those who do good to you. This is demonic. This is not human, by the way. So the level of religions in the world, it's on the human level. If I think of other religions, like in Islam, it says that you only forgive those who apologize to you, if they are sincere. So that's good, and that's on the human level. But this is the divine level. We want to live up to this level in our lives. Pour your life for the sake of others says in first epistle of John, by this we know love, because he, meaning Christ, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's so hard. But of course, he, he teaches us also from where to begin. Because after this, he said, if you see your uh, a brother or sister in need, and you close your compassion, how can the love of God abide in you? Meaning, uh, what God wants me to do to respond to the Holy Spirit. He gives me little steps. All what I need to do is not to resist. Very simple. He shows me the perfect picture, but he also tells me how to begin. So, the teaching of the cross, it's not something that the world will accept. No religions will accept it. Humanism, nothing. Even those who love Christ, like Mahatma Gandhi, in 1894, in his autobiography, 
in page 113 said this, I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man ever born. Okay. His death on the cross was a great example to the world, but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. Come up to redemption. No, redemption I cannot accept. He loved his teaching. He applied his teaching in many of his ideas and thoughts. Friedrich Nietzsche, he wrote a book. He was the most preferable. He was like an idol to the Nazi leader. I don't like to mention his name. He says this. The good... What is your definition to good, Nietzsche? The will to power. The bad, what is your definition to the bad? All that proceeds from weakness. Happiness, it's the feeling that power increases. He also said, what is harmful than any vice is active sympathy for the ill-constituted and weak Christianity. And, the, you know, the name of the book is Antichrist. It's from his book that is called Antichrist. He admired the emphasis on survival of the fittest of Darwin. He despised all forms of weakness. His dream was the emergence of a Superman, which that guy that led the Nazi government took on himself. The, uh, the emergence of a superman and a daring ruling race. He said that Christianity is the religion of pity. Pity, pity. Mocking Christ and calling him the God of the cross. And by the way, all the teaching of Christ takes the man or the person that is suffering out of self-pity. The opposite out of self-pity because this true self-denial makes you get out of yourself. All what he teaches, even those that are aggressing against you, look at them in the eyes of mercy because they need the mercy, not you. You are suffering at their hands, right? Okay, but you're good. They are the ones that obsessed by the evil one. They are the ones that need God's mercy. And they are the ones that I want you to look at them and to think of them that, wow, I wish that person will be delivered from the power of evil. Other things. If you want to be strong, you ought to be weak to depend, to depend on God's power, not your power. If you want to be honored, you have to humble yourself. That's the cross, guys. That's the teachings of the cross. If you want to be wise, you have to be ignorant and de depend on God's wisdom. You want to apply the cross in our lives? That's the cross. If you want to be first, you ought to be last. No, I want to be first. I don't accept to be last. 
If you want to be free, you have to be a servant for Christ. What? Yes. He's the only one that can give you authority over the world. Because John says that he that he is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So the world will not accept these teachings. If you want to be great, be servant to all. That's not what the world is teaching. If you want to own your life, you should lose it for Christ. Because, I mean, what does it mean to own my life? Okay, I make money, I succeed. But all of this will go away. What really keeps my life is Christ. He gives it meaning. And he let me invest in the everlasting life, which starts here and now in this life. I can do for the everlasting life in the lives of people around me in my life and for the kingdom. After this somehow depressing teaching, but at the same time reviving, I have two good news for you. Very good news. First, if I apply really the cross in my life in this way. You see, the common factor between all these teachings is self-denial. Carrying the cross, which literally mean to deny myself and to live for my Christ that died for me. Two things happen. First, suffering in my life will be redeemed. Meaning, you know, suffering entered our life because of Adam, as we all know. And it came as a result of disobeying God. Okay? Now, Jesus did suffer. You can interact, that's fine. We are not technically in an Anglican church. I mean, yes, we are. But um, Okay, he suffered because he followed God, because he obeyed God. So our, you know, God's plan for our suffering now in this life is to redeem our suffering. Even if you suffer because of sin, you messed up your life, and you, did the, you have a lot of mess in your life, and you come to the Lord with all this mess, he says, I will put it in your hands. God will redeem this suffering and make it a suffering as a result of following God. Transfer the suffering as a result of disobeying God to suffering as a result of obeying God. That's the cross. That's the meaning. Not every suffering in our life is the cross that we are carrying. Because, I mean, when I read this, I says, what is this? It looks like Jesus wants to increase our suffering. This could be the case for many of us. But he wants to redeem our suffering. And be believe me, suffering when you're obeying Christ 
it's not anything like suffering because if, of your disobedience to Christ or God. It's full of joy. It says in Acts, I think, 11, after the disciples got beaten by the priest, they went, they were rejoicing. They felt pain, but it's different because the Holy Spirit is rejoicing in you. It says in Hebrews 12 that Christ, before, because of the joy that was set before him, what joy? His soul was sad unto death, it says in the last night. Where, what joy? The joy of obeying the Lord. And the joy of the Lord inside us. When we do what's right, the Lord rejoices in us. Yes, we suffer outwardly, but our soul rejoices. So that's good news number one. God will redeem our suffering. The other good news is that if we follow this codex in our lives, I already used like six, seven words about the same thing. If we apply the cross in our lives, we will experience the power of God. The power of God. That's why I will repeat the same verse. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are bearing, uh, uh, being saved, it's the power of God. It's not only the power of God in his death and resurrection. The power of God in our lives. In our lives. And I will give you just the, sem the, the, the example of Stephen. Back in Acts chap chapter 7, he is a deacon. He's not even an apostle. We all know that he uh, preached that message that, you know, you may evaluate it as like a Sunday school message. Then after that, they decided to stone him. It says this, that he saw heavens that were opened. And the Son of Man was standing on the right hand of the Father. And I assume if the Son of Man was standing, all heaven were standing. Okay? And they were all looking at Stephen. What would Stephen do while he has been stoned? Look at, imagine this, you know? And he applies one of what I read for you. He prayed for those that are stoning him. You know, from that point onward, you see explosion in the kingdom of God. It totally moved heaven. And all the demonic forces lost control. Why? Because logically, when the enemy kills someone, he feels rest a little bit, right? We know this by nature, like gangs or stuff. They kill one person from the other side, they feel rest. We see the opposite. After they killed Stephen, they went crazy. They went after all the believers. Why? Because Satan saw that he lost control. After the disciples felt rest in Jerusalem, and somehow they were stuck, to be honest with you, because he told them from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the rest of the world. After this incident, 
they were scattered and the kingdom of God literally exploded everywhere. So when we apply this in our lives, we experience the power of God. God can do in one second what you cannot do in tens of years. So just to understand this. So just we'll lift it at this point and pray. Let's really pray. Because it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can really follow this impossible codex, you know. Amen. So let us come to the cross. It's the point where, you know, you calibrate your life like machines, you know. When they calibrate the machine, it will start producing the best production the way it's designed to. So when you come to the cross, really, let us remember that it has to do with everything that Jesus lived and taught. If we really want to honor Christ for his redemption, we have to live up to his teachings as well. Lord, I pray that you really give us all the grace to really understand, accept, and trust you, Lord. By our own understanding, we will think that, no, this will not work. This will make things worse. This could never work for me. They will not understand it. Yes, we know this. But, Lord, I pray that you give us the grace and the wisdom really to live up to these teachings to start to see explosion in the kingdom where we came from. From Jerusalem, this city that is still is the city, maybe the biggest place in the world that is still rejecting you, Lord. Lord, you are demanding people to take stands like Stephen so that the power of the evil one will be broken in our countries, in our cities, in our houses. Lord, if we apply this in our houses, we'll never have divorce. We will never, uh, you know, uh, fail in any project we start because you will be leading us and you will be number one in our lives, Lord. I pray for each one here that will really open their hearts and minds, including me and my household that will understand and accept this message by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, and give you the honor. And I greet you from Jerusalem because I was born in the old city, so, uh, and I lived all my life in the old city, of course, so God bless you all. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.